Hello, I am Scotty McCoy, and I am the author of the Ultimate Friday the 13th trivia book, and I am working on another book titled The Ultimate Slasher Movie Encyclopedia, and I am going to be interviewing some alumni from the Friday the 13th franchise, and right now I have Bob DeSimone, who played Billy in Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good, Scotty. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. So I have a couple questions I'm going to ask you. Um, about 15 of them I have for you. So the first question I have is, uh, what was your audition like for Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning? Well, actually, it, uh, it wasn't an audition. I could basically quit the business. Um, you know, I, I started out as a drummer, which I still do. Went into comedy, then acting, and then I started my own business in 83. So I basically left the business, and uh, I got a call from my brother, Tom, the director. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I think you're familiar with him. Yes. Okay. He called me and said Danny Simon uh, was shooting Friday Five. He read it in Variety. He said, why don't you give him a call? Um, he said he was looking for you. Uh, couldn't find you. The, my agent said I was no one with the agency. <laughs> uh, it, it goes back to a movie I did with Danny. I did... Um, She's Belinda Blair, and uh, I played Mr. Meeker. can't remember the name of the movie. It was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and um, when I was working with Danny, he said, I would like to use you in any other film I do. I, there's certain actors I get along with and, and I work with well. They work with me, so I'm going to keep in touch with your agent. Whenever I do a film, I'm going to call you. I said, right. okay, that's fine. But this was back, you know, uh, a year or two before. So I called Danny, uh, and he said, where were you? I've been trying to find, I want to give you a good part in the movie. I have nothing left except two little parts. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't audition. Uh, okay. I, just, I, I called him, and I had uh, a part. I had right. two parts, the ambulance driver and then Billy um, pulling up to pick up Lana. Right. Um, he knew I wrote in the improv. He said, can you make those two characters, one character, you can have both roles, but if you, and I said, sure. So that, that was it. I mean, I just showed up and, and shot it. I, he sent me the, my pages, and right. uh, I wrote out uh, a little script how we could make these two characters one, and right. they accepted that, and then I improvised what was in the car. Awesome. And uh, Savage Streets is the name of the movie, right? Savage Street. Yeah, yep. I, I just quickly looked it up while you were letting me, telling me that, and I was like, I had to look that up. That was gonna drive me nuts. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I like when you uh, like when you played the ambulance driver at first, like when you went to Pam, like you did. Uh, I'm guessing that was all improv, and it was really good because, like, even when you said um, "no problem, doll" or something like that, and you did like the tongue thing to her, that made your character just have that much feel to him like this this guy he's gonna be seen later in the film you know something's gonna happen there and you know jason's got to get a guy like that <laughs> I, you know i didn't think of it that way actually i did the thing for a reason um the script called for me to just pull up over the door and say tommy you know a couple of times and that was it so i just threw in sit there on the shit and then when she came walking out um i started you know, staring at her and half coming onto her. And while she was talking to him, I was off, I was out of the frame. 
Right. And I stayed in character, and I was just looking her up and down, and she stopped in the middle of the scene, and Danny said, what are you doing? She said, he's, he's making me so nervous. And he's, Danny, Danny said to her, you're an actress, use it. Just use it. Either ignore him or, you know, don't, don't stop. Okay, right. so we had to do the whole scene over, just her coming out. Okay, right. coming out, and I continued, and um, I wasn't really miffed at her, but when she walked away, that's why I did a little tongue thing, just, <laughs> just threw it a little bit, and they used it in the film anyways. <laughs> That's pretty funny. So, uh, can you describe in uh, depth what it was like filming and even prepping for your death scene and how they uh, filmed all that? Well, uh, you mean prepping for the, just for the death scene? Yeah, like how do they how do they film and, and like do the death scene? Like how was that created? Okay. Uh, they made a dummy, of course, of me. And the funny thing was they didn't realize I had a false spot. Hey, Lana, they go. 
That's <laughs> pretty funny. I love that. That's a great scene. So, uh, what was your experience like filming a Friday the 13th film? Well, like I said, <coughs> excuse me, I only worked on it two days, so I didn't, I know there's a lot of stories about a lot of drugs on the set and so on and so forth, but believe me, I just, you know, I knew it would be my last uh, anything on film, uh, tape, or whatever, so uh, not that I went about it half-heartedly, it wasn't that, I just gave it all I had and improvised right. as much as I could and had a good time, but I only shot for two days, so I wasn't in and around a lot of, I've only seen the movie twice in its okay. entirety, <laughs> you know, at the rap party, right. and then I went once and saw the premiere, and that was it, you know, right. I, I see pieces of it on TV, and of course I've got my scenes saved. Right, of course. <laughs> I must have seen the film about at least a hundred times. Every film in the franchise, and uh, that, and probably even a lot more than that, because writing the ultimate part of the 13th trivia book, I watched all 12 films about maybe three or four times just to prepare for the film itself. So, like for the book itself. So, I, I just love the franchise, and part five is one of my favorites. Really? Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, but again, I, I can't. I don't have stories. You know, you know, I mean, uh, That's fine. I, I do have one story, and I hate telling it, but, you, you know, it, because the girl that played Lana, uh, she's still around, and I, I just hate to, you know, I don't even know if it's been printed. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> she, she was married to Ray Sharkey at the time. Okay. And Ray Sharkey is now dead. He, he died of AIDS, but it was, you know, the, the, the story was that it was from needles because okay. he, he uh, was a heroin user on uh -huh. So Danny and I were discussing him and his heroin use, and we didn't know she was married. Oh, wow. She, she was sitting right there, so it was, it was a, uh, yeah. Don't worry, I won't publish it. <laughs> oh. Uh, my brother was shooting a film with him, and he called me, he said, you know, I'm going to be with Ray Sharkey tomorrow, shooting a couple of scenes, and I really loved him, I loved him in uh, The Idolmaker, mm -hmm. so my brother said, come on over, we're at such and such a place, and you can meet him, so by the time I showed up, they were trying to get a scene shot, he was so gone, he was so far gone on heroin, he couldn't wow. even, uh, and I, I never really met him, so we were discussing that around her, and uh, it wasn't, it was, uh, she just said, are you talking about Ray, Ray Sharkey? I said, yeah, he's in pretty bad shape. She said, my husband? <laughs> and Dan and I went, oh. <laughs> so she said, uh, well, he's just had a problem with uh, Valium. We said, oh, yeah, sure, okay. And so we just left it there. Right, wow. Is she, um, is she on Facebook at all, do you know? I don't know. Because I know she was in the Crystal Lake Memories documentary, and I really wanted to interview her as well, so I mean, I just couldn't get, I couldn't really find her anywhere yet. Yeah, somebody told me she's still around, I just don't know. Right. You know, have you looked for her on Facebook? I looked on Facebook, I couldn't really find her, but I didn't really put much effort into it, because I'm really busy, and I have, I've had about maybe about seven interviews in the past week and a half. Yeah. And then I work full time as a software database engineer, and then I'm on the side. I work for my best friend's small web company as a senior PHP developer. On top of that, writing this book, doing interviews, so much going on. 
Yeah, um, so let's see. Um, what was it like working with Melanie Kinnaman for a brief scene you had with her? Uh, you mean the, the scene at the truck? Yeah, like, like what was it like just working with her like as an actress? Honest to God, that was it. I never even met her. It wasn't even a ho-ho. Uh, it was oh, just wow. I, uh, the truck pulled up, uh, and then I got out, opened the door, and then she came walking out, and that's really the first time I saw her. Oh, wow, and that's the last time, too. Yeah, <laughs> it was the last time as well. So, you know, that scene was it. I mean, that okay. was it. I got there to do my scene, and after that day, I went home and came back a few days later and shot the night time scene. Okay. So I really didn't have a lot of time to, we never chatted. I mean, if, you know, we may get such a role in right. and and we're going to shoot the scene, and that was it. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, yeah, I asked her for an interview, and she was very nice. She said that uh, maybe if, if I'm still working on the book in the future, because um, I told her it wouldn't be out probably for at least two, maybe three years, because there's so much content I have to do in it. But uh, she says right now she's writing a book of her own, and she's very busy doing that and doing conventions. So she said in the future, if I'm still looking to interview her, she'll let me know, or I can message her back in maybe a couple months or so. Maybe she'd be available for it. She was really nice about it, though, so I was really happy that she might she's open to it. You know, I've done a few interviews, and sometimes um, what the interviewer will do is send an email with the questions. That's a good idea, too. And then I just answer the questions and send it back. Right. So if she's not really uh, available for uh, a Skype or phone, right. ask her if she'll do that, and then she can do it at a leisure and take a little time. I never thought of that, because I did do that with some people, with Ron Sloan Jr., who played Jr., um, I did I did that through him, and I also did it with Darcy DeMoss, who plays Nikki in part six. Um, they, they both requested me to do that, but I never really thought of actually going forward that way with people that aren't available. That's a good idea. I, could, I should definitely, I'm definitely going to do that. I've done it. It was easier for me at the time because I was real busy. Right. And uh, he got the chance to get his interview. Okay. So yeah, that's really great. I'm definitely going to do that now. So um, everyone knows that your character, Billy, was a cocaine addict. So uh, what was the cocaine actually made from for the scene that it was used in? It's Manit, which is a baby laxative. Oh, okay. But it doesn't, that little bit didn't affect me, thank God. This teeny bit. Manit, now, I'm only saying this because this is what I heard. It's it's what they cut cocaine with. Oh, wow. Yeah, when people <clears throat> are dealing with cocaine, they cut it with Manit. Because <laughs> it looks just like cocaine. It doesn't harm you in any way, so they cut it with baby laxative. So on the set, they just have many, and they put it in the bottle. And, and did you did you really snort it for the scenes, or did you just was that all acting? You did. No, I snorted. Okay, wow, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> so, how did you get your start in acting? Well, you know, I I started as a musician. Uh, I still play, and then I went into comedy, worked the comedy store, did all that, and then um, I started. I got a taste for comedy. Um, and joined improv groups. So I did a, a lot of work uh, with improv groups, and then I went from there into stand up comedy. Okay. And then from stand up, I had a few people approach me, and uh, I did a couple of small parts. I did some TV shows. Uh, and so I just started going after that. 
know, okay. uh, going after the acting. But it all started from the improv, improv groups. I did a lot of work in the theaters okay. around here. Worked the comedy store, the improv, uh, lots of clubs, lots of comedy clubs. And uh, that got me into the acting. And then every now and then when my brother had a film, he'd call me apart and I'd jump in. Right. Uh, like I said, I did TV. I did Make Me Laugh. There was a show that was on years ago, and I did 10 shows for them. And uh, a little extra work, stuff right. like that. But okay. That's how I get into it from the That's pretty cool. That's great. Yeah. So, uh, what was your most memorable or favorite moment during your time filming for the 13th Part 5? My favorite part was being able to improvise in the in a car. That's good. It was absolutely, I mean, the, the script read, uh, Billy pulls up and yells for Lana. Right. And, and, and she says, I'll be right out. And that was it. And then Billy snorts cocaine and uh, then calls her again. That's all, that's all it was. Right. So while I was writing, making the guy in the, in the uh, van the same guy as Billy, I mean, it was pretty simple. I did it by saying, uh, what's the line I wrote? Uh, the Pride of the Hunger Institute of Mental yes. Health just emptied his last bed and would like very much to party. Well, that made us the same guy. Right. right? So that was that. And and um, I wrote in, you know, who wants her ability? I want Lana to go with nothing on her. Danny and the guy said, this will work. Okay, that's fine. But it was right that night, that very night, Danny said, why don't you just do whatever you want in the... Because he, his thing was, he wanted me to have a bigger part. Right. But he couldn't find me, so the whole thing was cast except for these, this, these two smaller parts. Right. So, um, while they were, you know, when you're shooting movies, I don't know if you realize that it, it takes forever to shoot the smallest piece of film, just forever. Yeah. yeah. So the car was out there, they were setting up the cameras, they were trying to get the lighting, the whole thing, making sure, you know, um, the girl was over by the store repeating her lines to me, even though it wasn't what was used on the film. I was right. just calling her and she was just talking her lines back to me. And then later they shot her lines and I talked my lines to her. Right. How they do it. Um, but that was the most fun, being able to just improvise in the car and goof around. And right, that's great. That, that does It does seem like a lot of fun. Like every fan's dream is pretty much to be in a Friday the 13th film, and especially to be killed by Jason. <laughs> and you got to do both. <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> so, um, how did you find out about this film, and what was it like when you found out that it was a Friday the 13th? Because I know a lot of people said that it was originally titled Repetition. So did, yeah, I didn't know if you knew that or not. Like, did they tell you it was Friday the 13th right from the beginning? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. In fact, I found out, as I said, when my brother called me and said, Danny Simon got in touch with him and said, where's your brother? I'm trying to, I'm trying to find him. Um, <clears throat> uh, Friday the 13th, again, I, I was like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, all right. So, you know, um, again, I get left and started my own business, but I thought, well, if he wants me, I love Danny. He was a great guy, and right. I thought I'd be happy to do it. Right. So, um, to tell you the truth, Scotty, I had no idea these this franchise would take off like it did. Right. Not, I mean, the, the last thing I thought was I'd be doing these interviews. Right. I get, I get letters from people all over the world. 
mm-hmm. asking for autographs. I send them. I don't charge. I just send them out. I mean, if they're nice enough to ask them, I'm nice enough. Oh, <laughs> of course, yeah. I'm honored, I'm honored that they would like my autograph, so right. I have to do it. That's great. But um, I, I didn't think it would be any great film. You know, as mm-hmm. far as uh, I knew, it would, it would probably be a box office success for the production company. Right. But I just felt it was a, a B horror movie, which is what it is. They yeah, are. they all are definitely, yeah. Yeah, but some of them, like these, they become cult hits. And, yeah. You know, uh, it wasn't it wasn't until years later. I don't even know how it happened. Somebody wanted to interview me, and I said, for what? You interview me for what? Excuse me, sir. Yeah. All right, well, I'll see you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm like, so no she's taking a course in the Moorpark College. Uh, no problem. Um, so, I, uh, I just, uh, I had no idea what, what they were talking about. I said, interview me for the band I used to be in, or what? TV or he said no Friday uh, and I said are you serious and so we started talking <laughs> and uh, he said there's a lot of fans that would love to get in touch with you you know I said oh okay I said well uh, I said you know you can put my email address up there because I have a few I said you can put right. my email address up if you like um, and I started right after that I started getting hit with all kinds of stuff which was a, just amazing, just amazing. Uh, people send me stuff to sign, stuff, <laughs> hockey great. masks or whatever, posters, right. um, and um, just, just a mind blow. Right. When I when I interviewed uh, Stu Charlo, he played Cannon Part Two. He said that uh, that he took it was the first sequel. He didn't know if it was going to be a success. He, it was just only one sequel after that. So he took it because it was a job and all that. And then seeing twelve, like all these films later, how big of a of a franchise it became. Even uh, the screenwriter of the first film, Victor Miller, he said he, he never intended a sequel. He said that in his mind, Jason Voorhees was dead. The mom was the killer, and that's all it was. And then it just turned where Jason never drowned. He was the, he became this bigger, larger than life, you know, iconic serial killer in the horror franchise. It just it just blossomed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so... You never know. I mean, you really yeah. never know. This was years later that this all started. Um, and then um, <clears throat> somebody asked me if they could send me something, so I gave them my office address. Uh, and right after that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> stuff started coming to my office in the mail. Would you please sign this? Would you sign my hockey mask? And that sure sent right. And then um, Facebook... Mm-hmm. That became that was crazy. Oh, I know. I, it's I have friend requests all the time. Yeah. You know, on uh, on Facebook. Yeah. So, and I'm honored to be one of them friends on your Facebook, and I am oh, doing this interview now. It's so great. <laughs> no problem. So, uh, do you do any horror conventions? And uh, if you don't do them, would you be open to the possibility of doing them? Conventions. Yeah. Um. I did one and one only because a guy bugged me to do it, and it was in Burbank, okay. which is not that far from me. Right. But it wasn't a Friday the 13th. It was a Monster Palooza, I think, okay. or a whole lot of other um, horror movies right. and whatnot. 
So there was no setup for me to sign autographs and, and nothing like that. Okay. But I went. Um, and uh, there were a few of us from Friday the 13th and some from Savage Streets. Uh, but we were sent off to a separate room. Nobody knew where we were. <laughs> this guy just wanted to get us in there. All right. So it, it, it was okay. I mean, the people were nice, but uh, I've, I've been hit a lot for conventions, and so far it just hasn't piqued my interest enough. Okay. You know, I understand. I understand that, and a lot of people do it because they need the money, and then other people just don't want to do it because they'd rather do it because they they wouldn't have a career if it wasn't for the fans. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, I I, uh, I I don't need the money, and I don't say that in a braggadocious way. Right. I don't need the money, but I feel funny. If somebody wants an autograph; it's my honor. Right. That's what I feel. I, I'm, yeah. That's they kind of, always say me what you charge, and I say, like, if you're nice enough to ask, I'm nice enough to give. Yeah. Because yeah. that's how, like, even when, like, I live in a small town, and I walk, except I only have two, I just got my second book published now. And um, somebody, uh, like, they, they saw me walking on the street and they bought my book, they must have just got it in the mail, and they asked me if I would autograph it for them. And I said, absolutely. And they said, you don't want no money or anything for it? I said, no, you bought the book. I mean, I, I'm i honored that if they ask me for an autograph. I love it. I'm not even a celebrity by any means. And I, I love I give, I love the attention. I, I, I'm a quote-unquote, as my parents call me, an attention whore. <laughs> I, love, I love the attention. <laughs> I love the attention. I love when people ask for an autograph. I love when people, you know, want a picture with me or buy my, like, all that stuff. I love it. I don't want to charge people for it. And if I do a convention, I would I would love to go and have a booth up, but I wouldn't be charging to do it. If, yeah, if right. they want, they can buy the book off me, and then I can autograph that if they want. Yeah. If yeah. they bought the book online, bring the book, I'll sign it free of charge. What book? What was your other book? I have uh, the Ultimate Friday 13 trivia book, which I had out, which was out in February 2016, and it just got released. I think it was last week. The Ultimate Halloween trivia book. Okay. And the book now I'm working on is the Ultimate Slasher Movie Encyclopedia, which is which right now I'm on chapter one of Friday the Thirteenth, and I'm already over hundred pages, and I'm not even halfway done that chapter. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean I'm past the interview section, but I'm doing while I'm doing interviews, I'm, I'm going back to that and inserting the main as I do the interviews. Like like after I interview yeah. you, I'm gonna I'm gonna make up a short snippet so they can hear what the interview is about a little bit about maybe maybe a four to five minute clip of it, and then I'll end up uh, end up posting a little screenshot of the interview after I put it in my book in Microsoft Word cool. and I'll do that and it's, it's, it keeps cool. me busy, it keeps me out of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'll be twenty eight at the end of the year in December. Yep. Kid, you're yep, still. <laughs> yep. So uh, tell the readers about your music career. My music career. Um, I started did you see the Wikipedia thing? Yes, I did look into that, yes. So I, uh, I, uh, I was always, I'm, drumming is something that's just always been with me, you know, I think I was born a drummer, and um, I played professionally since I was about 14 or 15, um, and I came to California when I was 20, uh, 1966, and I wound up in the Ashgrove, which was the club in L.A., uh, not a fancy fancy joint, it was more right. of a funky, bluesy, folksy kind of place, but big. 
And all the blues artists played there. Uh, B.B. King, Albert King, I played for Albert King, I played for Big Mama Thornton, uh, <laughs> Pearl, Long Haul Miles, Big Mama Thornton, Curtis Tillman, all these people. And um, from there, I don't know, you're probably young, you know who Taj Mahal is? Uh, when I think of Taj Mahal, I think of the hotel. Right. Well, not the hotel, the actual structure over in India. Oh, in India, yes, I do know about that too, yeah. But this is a black blues singer that had a dream. His name was Taj Mahal. And when I hear the name Taj Mahal, I think of him. Huge back then, and he's still big now okay. in the blues genre. Okay. And I was his drummer for a while. That's and then cool. I signed on with, I did a lot of studio work, recording for people. And, um,. I was picked up by a group called Country, which it wasn't country music, it was country rock. The, okay. the reviewers said that we were a cross between Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and the band. Uh, it was a funky band with, with great harmonies. Right. And we cut a couple of albums and went on the road. We opened for the Bee Gees and uh, awesome. uh, Fleetwood Mac. And Taj Mahal and our band wound up in the same show one night, so that was fun. But uh, it was going very well, but we had a lot of problems with management and so on. Right. Everything fell apart. So <clears throat> I knocked around from there, and after that, that's when I got involved in um, comedy with the improv. Okay. But the music career went real well, and we were just, I mean, we were. You know, when you're opening for big bands like that, right. you know, next, we're opening for Linda Ronstadt as well. Wow. Managed by her manager, Peter Asher. So, That's great. But uh, management problems, fighting with the record company, the mm -hmm. management, and the whole thing just kind of went away, which is right. not uncommon. Right. In show business. Yeah. That's what they say. Like, even like, I watched Days of Our Lives. I don't know if you ever watched saw Days of Our Lives. Um, it would uh, like even some of the actors and actresses when they get let go, like the fans tell them, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you lost your job." And they're like, "It's just another day in the industry. It happens all the time." You, it's, yep. There's a lot of bands that were great that are off off by the wayside. You know? Yeah. But the good thing was working at the Asheville with all of those black musicians. Some of these guys were kind of like people I listened to. It was all of a sudden like, "Geez, I'm playing for Curtis Tillman." I'm backing Big Bama Thornton. I mean, this is like, you know, these people may not be familiar to you, but, right. you know, these are grandchildren of slaves. I mean, really singing mm -hmm. the real blues, you know. Yeah. I was just blown away being in their presence, and yep. I was a brother to them, and, and I cut my teeth uh, as far as R&B and blues with these right. people. And then I got called... While I was with Country, we were playing the Palladium, and the promoter came to me and said, Chuck Berry's coming to town, do you want to back him? And I said, do I want to back him? Yeah. You'll be, you'll be there with bells on. <laughs> and I was. I backed him at the swing. I love 10,000 people. Uh, Jojo Gunn, uh, Lee Michaels. You may not know any of these people, but uh, Long John Baldry and Chuck Berry was a star. And, I know Chuck uh, Berry. The sprinklers went off, the, the security was throwing huge bags of ice on the audience, he just blew the place away, and there I am playing for Chuck Berry. I used to play his records as a kid. Wow, that's great. So I had, I had a blessed time, if you will, with, with uh, the music right now. That's great. I had to play a lot of great people. That's awesome. Living the dream, living the American dream right there. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so did you ever use comedy as a gateway in your acting? Oh, sure. Any time I used to go uh, on an audition, I would try and throw something funny in. Okay. You know, uh, I auditioned once for a, a part of a bad guy. Um, well, it wasn't so much comedy, but they didn't know I brought a knife in with me. <laughs> I, was supposed to, I was supposed to pull a knife on somebody, and I pulled the knife on the casting director and had it at his throat, and everybody freaked out, but I just kept doing my lines, and then they realized, you know, well, he's in character, but I didn't get the part. But right. <laughs> I wanted to get the part. That, 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 that's taking it to an extra mile. You could have gotten arrested just trying to get a job. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but I always try to inject a little comedy or something they'll remember. You right. Uh, You're probably telling the story to this day. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, um, when you did comedy, um, what were the types of jokes you told? Like, tell the readers a bit about your life as a comedian. That was, uh, that's what, you know, that's when I found out that I think one of the reasons my career in show business didn't go further. I was up there with Letterman, Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld. I, I, I read all that on your Wikipedia page. I have a question yeah. about that coming up. Working with those guys, and um, for me, I was always waiting to be discovered. Right. And that's not where it's at. you got to go out and try and hunt down... Right. Uh, you gotta hunt down a manager or, or an agent. You gotta fight, mm -hmm. put your name in, and beg them to come and see you, and so on and so forth. I did have a couple of people come to me. That's how I got on. They laughed. They happened to be in the audience one night. They saw me, uh, and they got in touch with Mitzi Shore, the owner right. of the comedy store. And um, I went, and they put me on. I did ten shows for making me laugh, which was great. Right. But uh, working at the comedy store back in the heyday, uh, when when comedy was back then in the mid seventies, it was as big as music is today. The comedy clubs are all over, and they were packed. It was like this this uh, just a resurgence of stand-ups. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, they were as popular mm -hmm. as big musicians, you know. Right. And uh, it was. It was amazing. It was, it was a great time. In fact, Mitzi yeah. Shore called me. She was the only. Have you heard the name Mitzi Shore? That's familiar. Well, she's she's the one that ran the comedy store okay. and gave gave uh, uh, comedians their chance on TV. I'll tell you a story. I don't tell many people. She came to me one night and she said, "Bob, you're ready." And I said, "Ready." She said, you're ready, I'll, I'll have the people from the Tonight Show come in and see you, but you've got to give me five minutes of material you can do on TV. Because in a club, we did anything. Right. And it's not that I did blue material all the time, but some stuff you just can't do on TV, mm -hmm. even if it's edgy. And I never, ever, I kept putting it off and putting <laughs> it off. Never happened. And then I came in third in the Los Angeles comedy. All the comedians on Los Angeles, I came in third in the comedy competition. Nice. And, but I never, was it fear of failure, fear of success? I'm being really honest with you. Know, right. I have no idea. But she was giving me a shot on the Tonight Show, and I just never, 
got around to get under five minutes of what they call TV material. Right. You know, it can't be controversial. It certainly can't be cool. You got to come out with some nice thing. Right. I could, I could dash that stuff off in five minutes, but I, I just never did it. Wow. You know? So that. Do you uh, regret not doing that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure do. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, right now I'm. I'm doing good. I mean, I'm That's just about retired, but I really don't have any money worries at all, so That's my good. business did really well. But money's one thing, fame's another. You just kind of want that fame. Yeah, that's how I am. Like I said, the attention goes status. You want the fame. You want the people to remember you and love you and talk about you and ask about you, approach you, all that. Yeah, you know, uh, you know the actor Chris Cooper? Yes. He's a friend of mine. Okay. He says to me, To uh, who you worked with in comedy, and I, I actually got this question from your Wikipedia page. So, uh, what was it like working with Jerry Seinfeld during your time as a comedian? Uh, it, you know, I always looked at him because he was not famous at the time. Right. Letterman had already been on TV. Jay Leno had already been on Tonight Show. They right. weren't as big as they finally were. Seinfeld hadn't done anything yet, you know. Right. But I always thought, I thought, boy, look at this. Windy little guy. He would walk up on stage in his little suit, walk up there, do his stuff, literally on stage, take notes what he was doing. Some jokes would bomb. When the joke bombed, I oh, I never let it. I never let it show, but it kills you. Him, he just checked that one off and kept going. And, wow. You know, Very professional. He would off stage. Yeah, he would go back to the back of the house where the comedians hung out and you know well that didn't work that was like a strictly business he's a very funny guy he's naturally funny he's right. got a great mind but i always looked at these guys and said wow these guys are working this like a, a real business right they were honing their act to be a certain way to get on tv the big thing was to get on the tonight show right and they worked really hard me 
I was looking just to get laps. I was happy to get laps, and then I go off and do something else. I, I, like I said, I never parlayed what I was doing. Right. I never got my five minutes. Not there. But so did you okay. ever? Uh, did you ever um, like speak to Jerry Seinfeld? Oh sure, I talked to him all the time. And how was he? Was he nice? Very nice guy. He's exactly what you see, and Letterman is the same way. Okay. And Leno is the same way. Right. Same, same way. Same way. And Mitzi Carr. <laughs> Letterman is a very, very nice, personable guy. Leno, same way. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, same way. Just nice guys. Always right. talk. You know, shooting the breeze, easy going. Right. Um, two different nights meeting. Missy Shaw called me once and she said, Richard Pryor is doing a guest set. He was already massively famous. She said, I want you in tonight. Because there'll be a lot of people there, you know, some people in the industry, and I want them to see you. I said, great. Right. I'm thinking I'm going to open for him. I get there. She says, no, you're following him. Oh, wow. So he gets up there and does about an hour. Hilarious. Audience is falling down. He finishes, and then they announce me. I get up, people are putting on their coats, <laughs> they're <laughs> leaving, they're waving to one another, and I'll meet you outside. <laughs> it was the oh, worst. Wow. No, it's even, you know, you don't want to follow somebody that good. And and the, the place was emptying, and I was up there trying to try to do my routine, right? Then the same thing happened. She said, There's a kid coming in from New York, his name is Billy Crystal, another nice guy. Very nice. nice. Guy. She said, Billy Crystal's coming in. I said, I've never heard of him. She said, well, he's big in New York, but he's coming in. I want you to come in. I said, great. You think, you know, this time I can right. go on before him. She said, well, I'm juggling people. I had to follow him again. Crystal does 45 minutes, impressions, singing, dancing, everything. And when he's done, the same fucking thing, man. Everybody's leaving. Oh. <laughs> And they figure the show's over, and I'm standing there like a dope. Uh, you know, oh, dear. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. I love Jerry's show, Seinfeld. I watch that on reruns all the time, so I always wanted to meet him, and I never really got a chance to meet him. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in New York. I'm far from New York or L.A., wherever he's at. So, I, really, I mean, he, I heard he's a very nice guy, and I remember uh, he was, I think it was on the, Live with Kelly and Michael one time he was on that show. Um, and he uh, said, like, he was talking about Seinfeld. He said, if you ever look at all my scenes on Seinfeld, when I'm doing a comedy scene, you can see me smiling and smirking and laughing. He said, they never edited that out because I knew I'm not an actor, I'm a comedian, but they got me to do a show about my comedy. So yeah. he always yeah. said that he ended up, you know, having that smile on his face to be funny. Yeah. It's silly that he's, he's acting, but instead of do, but doing his comedy while acting. He wasn't a great actor, he's a great comedian. Exactly, exactly. You know, I see Leno every once in a while. I, you've seen my page, I'm big into cars. Yes. I have classic cars. Oh, yep, yep. A Facebook page. Yep. So, some of the shows I go to, I see Leno. I have to go up and go, you remember me? And he goes, yeah, the band's different. I remember you. And I go, because we shoot the breeze because we're both from Boston. Right. And then we start talking and, you know. Uh, I've seen him, I've bumped him on airplanes a lot because when I go back east for Thanksgiving, he's going back to Boston himself. You know? <laughs> so uh, we, I see him at car shows here and there. That's know, pretty cool. Times a year. He seems yeah. like a stand-up guy as well, so that's pretty cool. He's a great guy. He's a great guy, yeah. That's great. So uh, can you provide uh, some insight on the similarities and differences between comedy and acting? 
Comedy and acting. That's a tough one, okay. Yeah, comedy, as far as stand-up comedy, you have to take the stage and reach out to the people and pull them into your world, right. literally, okay? Right. Uh, even if you're doing just like Rodney Dangerfield, doing one-liners, you, right. you still have to pull them into your world. And really the key to stand-up comedy is likability. You get people to like you. And I'll give you an example. There's a lot of people that will say, did you see that comedian last night on so-and-so show? And they say, no. Well, what, what, were, what were his jokes? And they can't tell, they can't remember one joke. Wow. It's because they liked the person. Right. They liked, the person was likable. You couldn't right. tell, but liked the person. That's the main thing, is to bring them in and get them to like you and they'll buy anything. Right. Uh, comedy acting is sort of a mixture of those. You do have to remain in, see on stage, doing stand-up, I would do a lot of monology, a lot, uh, a lot of stories about my right. family. I didn't do one-liners. Right. I would think about this, that, my family. What happened? I would bring stuff that happened to me in real life right up on stage and go that way. Um, <clears throat> when you're doing comedy acting, you do have to have a sense of timing and a sense of a sense of comedic timing, but you can't deny the character. You got to stay in character. Right. So that's that's what was fun about Friday the Thirteenth. I got to be funny. But I played a certain character and right. he to do funny things. And then actual acting where it's serious, uh, you just have to literally become the the person. Literally right. become that person and go there. And you're not thinking about timing, you're working directly across from the other actor and you take all of your cues from them. Um, if you look them in the eye and they're talking to you, it should be in your mind the first time they're saying this, and you try and get your lines out as if it's the first time you're speaking them. Right. That's a job, you know. Yeah. But once you get there, I have to tell you, I've gotten chills doing it. Right. Talking to somebody, it's it's uh, like you've entered another body somehow. <laughs> so that's a big difference. Right. You know? That's cool. So the last question I have for you is, do you have any future projects that you are currently working on? As far as show business? Anything, really. The only thing I'm working on right now is I'm putting another band together to play all the clubs up here. Okay. And that's what I'm working on. Um, awesome. I've been in a few bands here and there. I get a lot of calls, but I, I tell them I'm doing another gig because I, I, I hate the sound... I can play. And right. A lot of the bands are amateur, very amateur. Right. So, and my wife, my wife Lisa, who just left, always says, "Well, why don't you go play with them? It'll be fun." And I go, "There's nothing fun about lugging my trunk somewhere <laughs> and playing a shitty band. That's not fun. Right. It's just not fun. I like to play with solid school musicians, right. you know, and then we get." Time. Right. So I'm working with some cats now that I, I enjoy working with. They were putting everything together, and uh, musicians are nonsense. It's, it's like trying to 
It's like trying to parallel park a train sometimes. It's nuts, man. It's really nuts. Wow. We're working on the band is big of our guy, and if we, you know, it'll be on Facebook once we get going. Okay, so what is it called?
two days straight, this is Sunday night, he goes, two days straight, and all day Friday since you got home, you've been on that computer, you haven't left the chair. He said, you're just on the computer, he said, don't you get bored? I'm like, no, I love it, I wish I could do this the rest of my life. <laughs> I'm just that type of person, like, like that's what my dad said, I'm never the type of person to do a hard labor job. That's why my full-time job is sitting in an office programming, and doing programming the whole time. It's not a physically inducing job, but it's mentally exhausting. But I, I do love it. I'm in air conditioning in front of a computer. I can be access Facebook when I want to access Facebook. That's why, like, when I was messaging you, I was at work. I was I was able to message you while I'm on Facebook because I'm right there in front of a computer like all day. It's great. <laughs> I love it. I got married late. I, I was single until I was 48. Because oh, I was on the road doing all, you know, always busy with something. Right. Uh, and I got married at 48, so Lisa's about 15 years younger than me. Okay. She, we, and we had our, we didn't plan on, I told her, I said, don't plan on kids. I'm 48 years old. I right. said, so if you're going to marry me, make sure, you know, five years from now, you're not going to be upset. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, and I I didn't get my first phone until I went off when I went off to college at seventeen years like seventeen going on eighteen. I got my first phone. My parents said because you wait for your to get your first phone, you can have, we'll buy you your first phone and pay for the plan because you're still in college and you're gonna be turning eighteen. So I'm willing to buy you uh, buy you a used car for so you can get to and from school and you know to come to us and whatnot. So they did that because I didn't have a phone my whole year, like all high school. All my friends had phones, and my parents gave me only gave me their phone, and it had no texting. It only had calls where I could call my parents on emergency day only, because they did not want me to use it during school hours. Like all the other kids were getting in trouble and getting their phones taken off because they're using it in the class. They would let my parents didn't want me to do that. And I'm glad they did it because I got a solid education. Now I'm, I'm being successful and. You know, got a full-time job. I'm getting my. Ba- I just got my bachelor's degree. All this is going on. So, so I mean, it, kept, it basically kept kept my, uh, you know, my a good head on my shoulders from that point. Yeah. 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 Well, it was a very, it was a pleasure talking to you. I had a great time. Well, my pleasure, Scotty. No problem. I hope I gave you enough because, you like did. I said, I've only worked in the film two days, so I wasn't really deep into the whole little production. But I hope I gave you something. You, you definitely did, and like I do this, like I don't, because the interview is about an hour long. I don't listen to the whole interview. I go, I skip through like each part to each question. I listen to bits and pieces, and like you do with improvising with comedy. I do the same thing. I basically put what you have. And then I kind of add to it based on what you said, based on what I remember and all that. And then I'll just, I don't, because I'm not going to sit there, you know, for an hour, listen, you know, typing every word you say, too. That's just, right. that gets too much, you know what I mean? So, and I have all these interviews I'm doing, so. Uh, but I'll, I'll be using what you have, and you gave me more than enough. I mean, the most I want is at least two to three pages per, per actor. And if it goes longer, fine. If it doesn't, then that's great. But I, I don't think I have, I think every person I interviewed so far was at least a minimum two pages. Good. Yeah, so okay. thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. Be good. Yeah, you too. <laughs> I definitely will. Thank you very much. Yeah, you too. Bye. I'm a piece of this guy.